Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 254, and today I'll be talking about the Steven Universe panel at Comic-Con. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So this this was where they not only showed the true kind of love song, they showed the trailer first, even. And as you remember, we had a good discussion about the trailer. Seeing it on stage was pretty great, like getting to hear the fan reaction, but nothing matches the past where we would get videos of trailers and hear like fan reactions live. I remember them actually having an episode aired once. I can't remember which one they aired at San Diego Comic-Con in its entirety. That was kind of like secretive, but getting to hear fans like cheer just every time like even a character appeared on screen, like Pro would appear and everybody would scream. See, I'm pretty sure pretty sure it was Legs from Here to Homeworld because everyone was wondering what White Diamond's deal was. Right. That was a lot of fun this time when they cut to the trailer. It was just you know, a cut to the trailer. But, you know, that's okay. I'm okay with the more, you know, professional appearance of the panel. Cartoon Network was really fast to upload this too as soon as the panel had happened, which was awesome. So, I mean, did did any did anything in particular stick out as something that you wanted to wanted to drag from that panel and talk about? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of obvious discussion that happened. Like the biggest lore drop that happened was that someone had asked about Pearl, did she belong to White Diamond? And Rebecca Despite the rest of the panel, you know, she was pretty reserved at giving any answers. And I mean, she didn't go to Estelle levels of just drinking so much water. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We'll get to that. Estelle was crazy thirsty this episode, way more than we are for like Opal's reappearance on the show. But um, yeah, so Rebecca actually chose to answer this, which I found was very interesting. I don't know if that suggests that it'll be touched on in the movie at all. Maybe it's something that she's so excited to talk about that she wants to bring it up now because it's not going to be covered in the movie. But yeah, she said that White Diamond is definitely involved in the making of pearls specifically, which is fascinating because we know that diamonds are involved in the making of gems. We've known that since the final arc of the show where we saw Diamond Bathwater (laughs) uh, (laughs) used to pretty likely produce gems or at least it's part of the liquid substance that we've seen heal things as far back as, you know, the warp pads that Peridot was sending the little robinoids to. Yeah. But yeah, it's super interesting. So Pearl is confirmed to not have belonged to White Diamond originally, which also means she wasn't originally a diamond's gem. But then she was assigned to Pink, obviously, after whatever happened to Pink Pearl. No, see, this, this wasn't very surprising to me because joe had already covered the pearl's origins she was made specifically for pink diamond oh so we're saying she just skipped that except okay that makes sense Uh, sometimes i think about pearl as having existed while pink pearl existed but i guess the timeline isn't that yeah the the big revelation here for people who don't like follow all the tumblr accounts is that white diamond is involved in all pearls not just ours which i think would have been better if she had just been responsible for our pearl but eh. you know it does make sense that white diamond would be responsible for creating the servile gem it's a pretty big deal though because we haven't really delved into the show about that diamonds are responsible for the creation of different gems outside of the idea that like you know we knew that the rose quartz line you know was kind of especially created by pink diamond but even in that scenario There was a difference between, like, design and creation, right? Like, at least I didn't feel that I knew that the diamonds were directly creating them versus, like, 
somehow creating designs for them that got implemented by the injectors and the kindergartens, you know? Yeah, the the diamond bathwater kind of surprised a lot of us, I think. Yeah, and so is that, you know, part of the liquid that the injectors kick off? I, I don't really know. But the fact that it's pearls is also really interesting because pearls are special because they, you know, are shown to aid diamonds and high-class gems. But, like, they're not that special, right? Like, they don't have any particularly great powers except for their, like, head gem. They do exactly what their diamond tells them to do. Right, like, so why does White Diamond, like, especially make them? And what really, like, narratively significant is that going to mean? Again, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the Pearls are the most servile gem class that they have, and it kind of makes sense that Ms. Control Freak would be the one making them that way. If you had to speculate, though, about, like, you know, when narratively what would be important about that, like, besides just, like, lore and exploring the diamonds more like as we think of the new era of the show where the diamonds are not just evil people necessarily anymore what will digging into their creation of gems mean for their characters i haven't quite figured that one out yet Hmm. i mean i guess it just depends on where they go with the backstory of the gem kind yeah i mean before we had rose sort of driving our care about the war and the past but now that that is mostly set behind us, except for the fact that no one at San Diego Comic-Con asked about Lion, and that is <laughs> one of the longest standing questions, That, but you know, it's yeah. fine. That would be one of my questions at the panel. I mean, would we have gotten an answer? No, we would not have. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a question that did get an interesting answer. I feel like Ms. Sugar, like, low-key confirmed that we're going to get a new fusion in the movie. Oh, you saw they, they asked that question and Estelle's like, you know, don't do it. You know, she she's giving her the water bottle, you know, to drink because <laughs> everyone's been joking about that. She took Rebecca Sugar's microphone away. I mean, that, that seems like a low-key confirmation to me. I No, I would not call that situation low-key at all. It was 100% confirmed there'll be a fusion. And that is more than just fun for the fans. That has some pretty interesting implications because we have seen all of the Crystal Gem fusions so whoever's fusing next is not going to be part of the five point star that we or, think about or ruby or sapphire could have individual fusions with someone else that would be cool yeah so i don't know where all that's going but because so far most of the details we know about the movie really just focus on like steven and and bendy that's gonna be pretty interesting i mean steven and greg have that guitar duet there so I wonder if they fuse on stage. That's the thing. So another fan asked about would Stevani in the show be able to fuse with humans? And so the question sort of took a path of like Rebecca both covering the fact that Stevani is pretty complete in themselves, so they probably wouldn't want to fuse with anyone else, but also Steven is completely capable of fusing with humans. And I feel like there was a tinge of, you know, the way they answered that, where uh, <laughs> it may be that, you know, human fusion could come up in the show. But really, I'm not sure that Stevani's going to fuse with anybody. It Miss Sugar made it sound like that that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. I, I even wrote down specifically, Stevani can fuse with other humans and gems, but don't count on it happening. That's the impression I got. No, I mean, their intention with Stevani is definitely to show relationship. I I think I even remember Rebecca, I didn't write it down, but that Rebecca sort of got to compare 
the way that Garnet's fusion sort of exists and Stevani's fusion exists because she she was sort of describing them as children of the components of those fusions. Yeah, that's another thing I wrote down. Yeah, so those children don't really... (laughs) uh, It doesn't make sense for them to often fuse with other people. Garnet's much more ready at this point. Yeah, they they liken all fusions to being kind of like kids, but uh, only especially because they were talking about, you know, like Sardonyx wouldn't know anything Pearl wouldn't tell her kid. And since she's keeping that pink diamond secret pretty close, Sardonyx doesn't know about that. Yeah, they got into, um, was it in this panel? Or hopefully it wasn't just something I read recently that they actually talked about why um, gems in a fusion wouldn't know about what uh, someone's knowledge had. I think someone asked about Yeah, that was Pearl. a yeah. Tumblr question, I think, or Twitter. Somebody. Yeah. Somebody online. Because they wanted to know why Pearl, uh, why people that fused with Pearl didn't know about, you know, Pink Diamond. And it's like, the same things that would appear in their relationship that they would be able to know is how fusions work. Yeah, now, because when I was watching Cry for Help, like, I, I definitely got the impression that Sardonyx either knew or had a solid hunch that Pearl was doing some shenanigans. But again, if it's if it's your kid, like, your kid sees a lot of stuff, so... And kids are smart. They can figure stuff out. <laughs> it's an interesting mixture of metaphors that they have there between fusions being kids now and fusions being a manifestation of your relationship. I actually find it really fascinating that they, I don't, I've never heard them use the word kids until this panel. Yeah. That's sort of how we've always thought about Steven as this sort of like hybrid between how humans normally fuse, <laughs> which ends up producing <laughs> a kid, and the way gems fuse. It's kind of like been this mixture where like, you know, because Rose sort of had to still act like a gem to become a fusion to, you know, have a baby. And, you know, same for Greg. So that's sort of, you know, Stephen is their fusion in, a, in the same way. So it's been kind of interesting to hear the language change on what fusions are as we sort of understood more about what Stephen is. Yeah, so uh, just, as a, just as a fun little thing, you, you know how we were talking about the poster and we were looking at those flags, which apparently are not pennants. They just look like that on the poster when you have it really super scaled down. Mm-hmm. They're actually properly shaped flags. Um, as many people had figured, one for Earth, one for Homeworld. I wonder if that Earth flag has always been an Earth flag or if that's a recent invention. I'm just I'm just kind of sad. No Delmarvin flag, but I'll, I'll find a way to carry on. Yeah, there's so much more. That's like a general open question there is about the series. That we wanted to know so much about in the past Earth's history and how it currently exists. And ever since, you know, we just knew about <laughs> the state that Stephen lived in, not being one of the states that actually exists in the United States, we always wanted to know more about that. And um, no one ever brings it up at panels, but this little hint of like a unified Earth under a single flag is fascinating because as there's a bunch of new gems interacting with people on Earth, we were always baffled by just how beach city residents didn't know <laughs> about the gems or understand magic so there's so much more for earth to be united about now as they uh face something they could completely not comprehend before yeah and uh you mentioned you know more more gems living there they they did say that we would be getting more human gem interactions in the future so that's that's good they they're not just gonna go live on gem village they're gonna be <laughs> out and about there were a lot of giggles around that too, which sort of made me feel the the way that <laughs> the word interaction sort of had a uh, <laughs> a subtext of being the kinds of interactions Rose and Greg had. I never got that idea, but okay, good on them. 
There, there may be an element to that that is sort of fascinating. Obviously, you know, we've sort of been hinted at that with Pearl and her dates too. Although it was confirmed in this panel that Pearl is very much going to be relishing in her independence for quite a bit yep. longer. She's a strong, independent gem, and she don't need no buddy. No. Well, it's funny. I mean, Rebecca explicitly used those terms. She literally said, like, she's strong and independent, and we kind of want to keep exploring that. Yep, I guess she's finding herself and all that. Now, I, I did like that one question about, you know, Lapis and Bismuth. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, Lapis isn't really sure who poofed her, and Bismuth probably poofed tons of homeworld Lapises, so how does she know whether Lapis is the <laughs> one or not? That answer was such a non-answer because from the first time that episode aired, it's like, why did they so intentionally make it a bismuth? Like, yeah, exactly. Sure, they could have been hinting at just like the character design. And I guess that could be all that was for like, oh, look, here's a type of gem that, you know, we see later. But like, come on, there's not more of a connection there, really? Well, I mean, probably, probably the intent is that our bismuth is totally the one who did it. Because even at the panel, it said, you know, bismuth can't be sure, you know, she's poofed lots of homeworld lapises. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think they're saying bis- maybe bismuth didn't do it. They're just saying that lapis doesn't know, bismuth doesn't know. And to be honest, lapis doesn't care because, you know, bismuth isn't the one who put her in a mirror. I, yeah, true. I, it's not that I like. I really don't want to have to revisit Lapis's trauma in this show again. But I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. That Lapis has never, despite the amount of attention she's had in the show, and even despite the multiple arcs she's had dealing with her, you know, trauma from the mirror and then trauma with being with Jasper, she still feels a little undercooked. And it would be fine to have some more of this come back up to get a more complete understanding of her as she one more time deals with this with bismuth but it it would feel weird in this era of the show which by the way no one during the panel confirmed or even asked about episodes that would come after the movie so we're just assuming an era of the show follows after this movie but it's a good assumption we we know it's happening though yeah although uh interestingly enough from what ms trigger said uh, Ivy and Sarashu uh, were, as of July 19th, when this panel took place, were apparently still working on music for the movie. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, the music, stuff like that gets added later for people who aren't like totally aware of the process. Like, the voice work and music comes latest, but they're like still, like as of this month, as of this day, working on music that's going in the movie September, <laughs> which is insane. Well, I mean, it's it's not that strange, but it's like, it's just really crazy to think about you know that's you know they're, they're gonna have just over a month now the, the the word ambitious and rewards related to the word ambitious came up over and over again as rebecca described the production of this movie musical both at the san diego comic-con panel and at other panels and interviews at the at the at the convention and i find that both very exciting but also it appears to have been a you know incredible effort on the part of the on the, on the cast, on the storyboarders, on the, you know, obviously they pulled in a lot of people to produce the music besides Ivy and Sarashi. So yeah. I am really interested to see what that bigness means because, like, just the way they even described, I mean, there's going to be more musical numbers than Mr. Greg. That was yeah, confirmed I mean, from the panel. 
That was 11 minutes and they said they had seven? It seems obvious, but even in another interview, she was like, this is basically like eight Mr. Greggs. And so when I think last episode, we sort of brought up like, will this sort of be like almost a Les Mis, like constant songs? Well, it's going to be at least a like Mr. Gregg, I think. Basically, almost every moment is going to be carried forward by songs like like a musical. Yeah, think less of a Disney movie and just more of a proper musical. Like, yeah. they're going to be singing their hearts out whenever they can. Well, and proper musical in that they said they had used, you know, Mr. Gregg as practice for this, but also... Secret practice. <laughs> secret practice, but also just one day, that whole song is sort of practice for the type of songs they're going to be doing in this movie. So imagine songs at that caliber and not like Steven Tag caliber. <laughs> it may be my name, but it's just not my game. That's, you know, that's it's not on the soundtrack. Don't don't count that. Right, like stuff that's not even on the soundtrack maybe doesn't count in the first place, but it, it's well, going to be bigger. Big Big Fat Meanie Zucchini is on the soundtrack, so. But, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and not Little Butler. I'm still salty about that. Still Salt Factory over <sighs> here as well. Maybe they held it back so they could put it on the Craig of the Creek soundtrack. Who knows? <laughs> Abs- probably not. Apparently, we had speculated back in the day that they had actually aired a lyricless version of that song at one point because of some problem related to like child labor. <laughs> but uh, never found out if that was true. Well, that's that's just what the word was. Uh, it's one of those things that's kind of tough to verify whether something didn't happen. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the hardest. But um, yeah, so the songs are going to be of a, a a caliber we haven't seen before, and they're all going to feature incredible voice work and new Steven voice. So um, it's even more exciting than ever. But uh, yeah, they look like they've worked <laughs> really hard, and they've been together a lot in the recording booth because all the VAs were sort of sharing that they have enjoyed being together so much, which normally when they meet, they're only in for you know one day a week. And uh, not always in at the same time. I think there was a portion of the show where, uh, actually, this may even be true to this day, where the voice actor for Greg never recorded with the rest of the cast, which is sort of an incredible feat. No, it was, I think it was Estelle who was remote. I, I, I remember Greg, but also I think that is true of Estelle has done a lot of remote. But um, so this movie has sort of brought them all together, which is very sweet. It's too bad Zach Callison wasn't able to be at the panel. Yeah, where where is 10,000 miles away from San Diego? I can't find any websites that will draw a circle <laughs> for you. That's actually surprising. Somebody needs to make that website. Like, how, how, how do I just get a 10,000-mile radius circle around San Diego, please? Somebody do that for me. <laughs> like, that actually is a thing, but it's just one of those hard-to-Google-for things. Mm, maybe. But... Uh, one one uh, one thing I do want to say to the the whole panel, but Shelby Rabara in particular, uh, she said that she prefers Garnet as the ship name for Ruby and Sapphire. She is not down with calling it Rufire. <laughs> I think you kind of have to call the ship name Rufire because yes, like technically, if you want to be super technical, yes, Garnet is the more correct ship name. But like for ease of understanding, you have to be able to differentiate between are you talking about Garnet the character or Garnet the ship? So. I think calling the ship Rufire is much more practical. <laughs> I agree it's practical, but it also brings up the point of like, I feel like the, the purpose of shipping is shipping characters who like aren't together. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I feel like if you're like a, you know, if you're like a fan art shipper and you make like 
Rufire art, which I have not seen because oh, I've kind of like on. been that disconnected is... from the Tumblr and Reddit world for a little while with Steven Universe. But, um, you know, so that like makes sense to label like art and stuff that way. But like as an actual conversation that happens, what conversation is there to have about like Garnet as a as a ship? Because like she is <laughs> she's a relationship. There's no more like built up. Uh, there's not much to mm. say there <laughs> versus like, you know, something even like Steven and Connie, which while obvious, you can at least like root for it as a fan, you know. I, d- I did like the the bit about White Diamond's shoes are specifically, you know, she literally puts herself on pedestals. <laughs> yeah, it seems kind of obvious in retrospect, but they are uh, pedestal shoes. It's interesting that <laughs> Shelby was really rallying behind making that an actual product for people to buy. <laughs> but, um, you know, it could happen. The last big thing I really just wanted to mention is one of the last things they said. Uh, Rebecca was asked about influences, and she mentioned watching Tenshi Universe back when it was on Cartoon Network, and, you know, that was a big inspiration for the show. They even kept the name, although, you know, Greg would be Tenshi in this case, hence, you know, Mr. Universe, I guess. (laughs) I don't, it was really surprising to me that this hadn't been brought up before. I don't think... I remembered this. Had you heard this in an interview? No, I had never heard any of it. I mean, I probably would have gone ahead and watched Tenshi Universe already if I had known, because, <laughs> you know, I've never never watched anything from the Tenshi franchise, but, you know, right. you hear lots of things about it. This is one of those really surprising influence reveals, because the show's been around for five years, and, I mean, heck, we've had a whole official Steven Universe podcast, which has just featured them talking to the cast a bunch into Rebecca. So it's, um, it's really weird. That, uh, you know, even fans, I hadn't ever seen speculation about this before. The fact that, you know, there's like an anime with, with the word universe in the title. And the, it's, it was really funny how she described the actual title of the show coming about. She's just like, well, my brother's Steven and uh, Tenchi Universe yeah. was a cool show. So um, the name stuck. Steven Universe. And it was really temporary. So I, I even kind of, she didn't explicitly say it, but I kind of imagine that's why they ended up making the whole... <laughs> <laughs> explanation intro as to how universe wasn't even really greg's or steven's real last name i swear that's not his real name <laughs> that's kind of how it was in the actual creation of his name so it's kind of fun they should have revealed that greg's name was greg sugar not greg DeMeo. <laughs> well DeMeo's is also someone on the related to a, a member of the show so it's still a sweet inclusion yeah, yeah. There were a lot of other interesting tidbits that didn't just happen at the panel, so I recommend for people who still want some stuff to look at. Den of Geek did a pretty interesting interview. LA Times did a good interview. And in, uh, I don't know about both of them, at least the LA Times interview, Rebecca Sugar kind of talks more about Love Like You, that which she may also have done at the official panel. I didn't hear anything about that song in the panel. I, I It was at least in the LA Times interview, but I feel like I had seen it a few other places like she was more excited to talk about it again but she doesn't necessarily talk about anything new about the song but sort of just kind of re-emphasizes how the song changed in its meaning for her over time which I kind of just found interesting hearing her talk about because I know as fans we speculated for so long about just like who's singing this song which gem is this about and you know even for the creator that sort of meaning of the song has changed. And um, she did actually perform the song during the the panel. So um, although I I didn't remember seeing it on the Cartoon Network uploaded version, but I did see it when I watched it today on another person's front row filmed upload, but it may have Hmm. been in both. But anyway, that's why I felt like she actually talked about the song a little too, 
when she performed it uh, right after during the panel. But anyway, so check out all those things because they're cool. Anyway, guys, that's been us on the Steaming Universe panel at San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm Dave. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.